Welcome to the Generations Church Podcast. This is Brian Nugent, and I'm the pastor at Generations Church. Thanks for listening today. We hope this message is an encouragement and blessing to your life. For more information about Generations Church and its ministries, check out our webpage at gctlh.org or follow us on Facebook, Instagram, YouTube, and Twitter. Praise God. Isn't it good to be in God's house? Come on, do you love Jesus this morning? Come on, let's give him praise. Hallelujah. Praise God. Pastor Josh, you're awesome. You're just flat out awesome. I just want you to know that. I I did tell him that last night. He was asking me, he said, send me a list of everything that's been done. I said, can't you just say a gut job? I mean, it's been gutted completely out and renovated. How many of you, when you gave your life to Jesus, it felt like you've been gutted, renovated? Come on, how many of you have been renovated this morning? Hallelujah. Can I tell you something? He's still working on me. He's still working on me. I was a children's pastor for 25 years, so that's one of my favorite songs. Oh, come on, I'll make you sing it. Y'all looking at me like a fish out of water. It's good to be here today. Pastor Brian, if you're watching, thank you for this opportunity. It's an honor uh, just to stand. And, uh, but let me tell you something. The enemy knows when God has an assignment for you, he doesn't play around either. Uh, Friday was a week ago. Not this past Friday, but Friday was a week ago. Linda and I had the opportunity to come to, come to the Afri- first African fellowship. And, uh, you know, y'all may not know this, but Mary's children know this. Mary Isabel, her children know this because they were on our Bible quiz teams. But we're their white grandparents. And uh, that's right. I think Priscilla said that first. I don't, I'm not sure which one of them said it, but, but we're just glad to be their grandparents. And, and, and it's amazing to me because now Brent calls me Pop all the time. So I'm his white Pop. And... Uh, And with all the things that Pastor Josh said just a few minutes ago, it makes you want to get up here and just sing, we are family, you know. (laughs) And it just, it's exciting. Generations Church, a church alive is worth a drive. Pastor Brian, you should have drove back this morning. (laughs) I want to get into this message because uh, when I was giving Kelsey my notes, folks, I don't use a laptop. Because I know it would just, it would be a mess if I tried to use a laptop. I'm just not there. I'm too old for that, I think. So I, I still handwrite my notes and I hand it all to her. And I said, see if you can disciple this, make something out of it. So Pam, if, it, if it's not all together, just, just hang in there, hang on and try to catch up someplace. And some things may not be in there. So I'm just telling you that up front. And my wife's already told me, no rabbit trails but I can't help it sometimes. <laughs> you know, last week, Pastor Brian was closing out chapter 18. Hadn't this been a great series? Pastor Brian's been preaching this with all of his heart. Incredible messages through the book of John. And you know, I've heard stories of missionaries talking about people getting saved by one page out of the book of John. Just have one page and they would cherish just that one page in the jungles of Africa or different places around the world. And that's all they had. They don't have a full Bible. Folks, we're so blessed we got a full Bible. And, you know, I started to give all kind of illustrations to go along with things and put them up on the board. And I could have pulled excerpts from the uh, 
from Mel Gibson's movie, you know, and showed some, some really incredible illustrations and things. But, you know, when I think about this word being God's word, I think, why can't we just take him at his word? Why can't we just take him at his word? This word is the truth, and the truth will set you free. Now, Pastor Brian closed out chapter 18 last week, and, you know, he discussed several things in that, and he talked about, you know, Peter denying Jesus three times, and he talked about Judas and the decision that he made. Can I tell you something? This whole book is about decisions. Life is about decisions, and all through life we make decisions. You and I make decisions every day. By the way, those quartz tops came from Superior Granite. You can pay me later, George. That's your commercial. All through life, we make decisions. But life is a journey. How many know life is a journey? Life is a journey. But I learned from a former pastor years ago, what you've got to learn to do is enjoy the journey. Does that mean everything in the journey goes great? No, it doesn't. That Friday night at the South African Fellowship, Samuel was preaching the Word of God and and a word, of, a word of knowledge came to him, and he said, there's someone in here that has a, a toothache that we need to pray for. And I don't know if anybody raised their hand or not, but that was on Friday night. Well, on Saturday morning, that word of knowledge came right here. On Saturday morning, my tooth began to hurt. And it hurt all day Saturday. It hurt all day Sunday. And I'm thinking, if I had Samuel's number, I'd call him, because Samuel, you've got to pray for me right now. Life doesn't always go good, but it's still a part of the journey. I couldn't get into the dentist on Monday. I probably could have got in if I gave Linda the phone. <laughs> she probably would have got me in. Maybe next time I'll do that. But, but no, I, on Tuesday, I was able to get into the dentist, and, and he began a root canal on me. And I'm thinking, God, why this week? Why all of this this week? The enemy hates you. Let me tell you, he hates you. And he'll do anything to try to disrupt what God wants to do in your life or in my life. That's just the way he works. He hates us. The Bible says he's out to steal, kill, and destroy. But Jesus came that I could have life and I could have it more abundantly. And on Wednesday night, I didn't feel very well. And so I, I, I called Brad Nestor. I don't know if he's in here this morning. He may be someplace sitting. He's back there somewhere. Oh, there he is right there. I called him. I said, Brad. I'm not feeling well at all. Do you think you can handle these boys tonight? But I heard he took Lee in there with him, so he made it. He got through it. But I really wanted to be there. But I'm at home, and I get a FaceTime call. And Gigi said, the triplets, Ellie's worried about you. She wants to see you. She got to see you because she wanted to know where Granddaddy was. And Linda told her, said, Granddaddy had a toothache. She said, don't y'all have any toothpaste? <laughs> a two-year-old. She already knows. You better brush your teeth. And so she couldn't figure it quite out. So she, I guess Gigi told her I had a boo-boo. And so she wanted to see my boo-boo on FaceTime. So I'm holding my mouth open down at the phone trying to let her see my boo-boo. And she's looking, I'm telling you, she's all up in that phone looking to see my boo-boo. <laughs> and then this morning, she wanted to know if I was feeling better. And so I had to come over and see her before I went up into Josh's room to pray and, and finish up what I needed to do there. 
And she was happy. You feel better. She saw my boo-boo. I let her look in my mouth, and <laughs> she saw my boo-boo, and it ain't there. So she thought, surely I'm healed. You know, God's good, isn't he? He's good. I want to begin this chapter. You know, it's, it's one thing when we have a problem, but it's another thing when Jesus just knows when to show up, doesn't he? He'll show up through the phone call of a little child and make you feel so much better. The Gospel of John, chapter 19. In John chapter 19, verse 1, and, and we're going to begin with, you know, Jesus is still on trial here because Pilate has to make a decision, and he still hadn't made a, a complete decision. He's tried already several times to exonerate Jesus, and, and here we go again. So then Pilate took Jesus, and he scourged him. How many of you know what scourged means? Well, I gave you the definition. It means to flog. It means to whip. It means to punish someone severely. That's where I was talking about if we could put up some graphics, we could show some things. But I don't think we need that because we know he was scourged. Just the word sounds bad enough to me. The Jews had a rule about flogging that no one could be flogged more than 39 times. And we're not told how many times Jesus was hit in the scriptures. We've heard that before. 39 lashes. And I've even heard that it was said that it was because of the 39 diseases that were out at that time. But I don't believe that's scriptural either. And the Romans, why did they do what the Jewish people would say? I believe they had their own rules. So we really don't know how many times he was beaten with that whip. And by the way, it, w it wasn't a cat of nine tails. When you research that, that came out in the 1600s sometimes. And it looks similar to that. But I think the, whatever the Romans used was probably a little more rough than that. And they would take leather strips and they would tie metal into it or, or pieces of bone, whatever it would, would do to take and tear the flesh of a man's back. So the scripture says that Pilate took Jesus and he scourged him. In many cases, just the flogging itself would, would take a man's life. When I think about Jesus, he's more than a man. Although he came as a man and lived a life just like you and I, was tempted just like you and I, had pain just like you and I, hurt just like you and I, he was a man. After Jesus was mercilessly, I mean, no mercy to it, flogged, the soldiers mocked him. Anybody ever been mocked? Come on, in school, you ever been mocked? Anybody ever made fun of you? It doesn't feel very good, does it? When you really know who you are, but they're trying to tell you you're something else, it doesn't make you feel very good. I told Josh last night, there's not very much humor in this message today, but this is about the cross today, and without the cross, folks, without the, the blood of Jesus being shed, there would be no remission of sin. You and I wouldn't be saved today. We wouldn't be sitting in this place today without the cross. So he's flogged. The soldiers begin to mock him with a crown of thorns and a royal purple robe. But it wasn't just a crown. It was thorns that had been twisted, twisted and shoved into his head. Folks, when I think of something being twisted, it automatically 
says to me that it's wrong. Even when the truth is twisted, it's wrong. I see this commercial comes on TV all the time. You know, we're from the South, so we'll drink tea, but now they got this stuff called twisted tea. You ought to turn it off right then when you see the word twisted. That ought to tell you something ain't right. And if you drink it, you're going to walk away twisted, let me just tell you. That word mock means to tease or laugh at in a scornful and contemptuous manner. It means to ridicule. It means an absurd mispresentation or imitation of something. Can I tell you something? He was the King of Kings. He is the Lord of Lords. He is the Alpha, the Omega. He is the beginning and the end. He is the first and the last. That was the most misrepresentation that we'll ever see right there. When they put that crown of thorns on his head and a royal robe on his back and, and they begin to ridicule him, they ridiculed his Messiahship. He was the Messiah. They'd been looking for the Messiah for years and years and years. And then when the Messiah came, they didn't even recognize him. But the truth was standing right in front of them. You think about a crown. A king would wear a crown, but not a twisted crown of thorns. A purple robe signified royalty. And they were putting a robe on royalty, the Son of God, the very Son of God. They were putting a robe on Him. In, in chapter 19, verse 3, it says, And then they said, Hail, King of the Jews. Hmm. That's what they would say to Caesar. So they were mocking him. Bowing down, calling him hell, king of the Jews. And then the Bible says that they struck him with their own hands. It's like slapping the face of God. Slapping the face of the Son of God. We can only imagine what that would have been like. In verse 4, Pilate then went out and he said to them, Behold, I'm bringing out to you that you may know that I find no fault in him. I find no fault in him. He couldn't find no fault in him. You know why? Because there was no fault in him. Pilate had a decision to make. Then Jesus came out and he was wearing the crown of thorns. He had already been scourged and he was in that purple robe. And look at what Pilate says here. He, he comes out again and he says, Behold the man. If Pilate ever made a statement, that was a true statement. Because Jesus, let me tell you, he is the man. We hear that said a lot of times. Here comes the man. No, he is the man. He is the man. But I'm not sure Pilate meant it that way. But he is the man. I think Pilate was really hoping that they would have some pity on Jesus because now he's scourged, he's beaten, he's been ridiculed, he's been mocked, he's been spit on. All these things have happened to him. He's been slapped in the face and he brings him out. And I really thought that they would have pity on him and then I could let him go. Or it could have been a sarcastic statement. 
But they're not satisfied. They demand the crucifixion. After all, this man committed blasphemy by claiming to be the Son of God. He made himself the Son of God, they said. Folk, he was the Son of God. He is the Son of God. He has not committed blasphemy. He didn't make himself that. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son that whosoever believes in him would not perish but have everlasting life. He is the Son of God. He is who he says he is. So now, the people are shouting he should die because of his blasphemy. So the scripture says that Pilate's even more afraid. Folk, he ought to be. He ought to be. So he takes Jesus back into the praetorium and he, and he says to him again, and look at this statement that he makes here. He says, where are you from? Folk, he knew where he was from. It wasn't like he was saying, are you from Sopchoppy? Are you from Eufaula? Are you from Opelika? Are you from Alabama? <laughs> no, it wasn't like he was asking him where he was from. He knew where he was from. He knew he was from Nazareth. But he also knew there was something different about this man. Can you imagine how many people had stood before Pilate and, and looked at him and begged for mercy for their lives? Jesus didn't do that. Jesus didn't do that. Jesus looked at him with those same eyes of humility and he never looked at him with anger. He never shouted out to him, you know, save me. He never, he never did any of those things. Where are you from? So Pilate says, Jesus didn't even say a word to him. Pilate says, are you not speaking to me? Are you not going to speak to me? Do you not know that I have the power to crucify you or also have the power to release you? In John chapter 19, verse 11, Jesus answers him. And he says, you could have no power at all against me unless it's been given to you from above. Who does Jesus point to? He points to the Father. Who does Jesus always point to? The Father. He always points to the Father. Therefore, the one who delivered me to you has the greater sin. Can I tell you something? Jesus loved Pilate. Jesus really had a passion, a, compa a compassion for Pilate. And I think when he makes that statement right there, he says, therefore, the one who, who delivered me to you has the greater sin. He's trying to tell Pilate, you still have a decision to make. Look at verse 12. From then on, Pilate sought to release him. But the Jews cried out, saying, If you let this man go, you're not Caesar's friend. Whoever makes himself a king speaks against Caesar. Now, Tiberius was the Caesar of that time. And I'm not sure Pilate and Tiberius had a very good relationship. You can go back and study some of that, and you'll find that it wasn't the best relationship in the world, so he was probably kind of on a probation period. But when you read about Pilate, you'll read it. Pilate didn't always follow the rules. Pilate thought he was in charge. Pilate thought he had the authority to do anything he wanted to do, and he was not a very nice man. But 
But then something happens. If you let this man go, they cried out to Pilate. If you let this man go, then you're not Caesar's friend. Whoever makes himself a king speaks against Caesar. Can I tell you something here for just a second? Peer pressure will make you change your right mind. Peer pressure will make you change your right mind. Influence is a powerful thing. It's a powerful thing. That'll preach right there. Influence will change your mind when you know you're doing right, but somebody else is putting so much pressure on you, you decide to do the wrong thing. Anybody ever done that? Come on, your mama tells you, I've made these cookies for after dinner, and don't you eat them. But you got a brother that's seven years older than you and says, oh, we can slip in there and get some of them. She'll never know it. Can I tell you something? Mom knows it. Mom knows it. My brother got me into a lot of trouble. And I've heard Linda say her sister, and she may be watching, got her into a lot of trouble. And she's probably laughing right now. So finally, Pilate took the official judge's seat. You know why? Because he was afraid he'd be reported to Caesar. He's worried about his own neck now. He's worried about his own position. And during all of these things, Jesus is still standing there. He's been scourged. He's been beaten. He's bloody. Probably could even hardly tell that he was a man. But he's still there. Pilate sits in the judgment seat, probably a, a seat that was maybe built up kind of high, maybe steps getting up to it, uh, maybe colored stones of mosaic, probably a, a place out where everybody could see it, and he would sit there because that's the judgment seat. You know, one day, every one of us will stand before the judgment seat of God. Every one of us will. Chapter 19, verse 14. Now it was the preparation day of the Passover and about the sixth hour. And he said to Jesus, <laughs> he said it to the Jews, Behold your king. Behold your king. He's calling him their king again. Again they yelled, Away with him! Crucify him! Pilate said, Shall I crucify your king? The chief priest answered and said, We have no king but Caesar. When the very king of kings was standing right there in front of them. You know what this tells me? Religious people have no king. Religious people have no king. Believers have a king. Believers have a king. Believers have a king. Come on, believers have a king. How many believers do we have in the house? A believers have a king. Come on, give the king praise this morning. Come on, give him praise. It's the preparation day of the Passover. It's about the sixth hour. So they know it's about to be the Sabbath. And they can't hang on the cross on the Sabbath day. Bible says they took Jesus and they led him away. Verse 17. 
And he, bearing his cross, went out to the place called the place of the skull, which in Hebrew is called Golgotha. Or Golgotha. He was carrying his own cross. And to add to all that humiliation, victims of crucifixion were usually stripped naked of their clothing. And Jesus is carrying his cross. Verse 19. Now Pilate writes a title and he put it on the cross, wrote it on a board of some type. And he put this in writing. He said, Jesus of Nazareth, the king of the Jews. Scripture says the high priest to begin to object to that. They didn't want this written, on, on, uh, put on his cross. But Pilate said, I think Pilate was frustrated with, the, with the, the chief priest by now. And he looks at him and says, it is written as I have written, and it's going to stay there. And I paraphrase that. The Bible says, then they crucified him, and the soldiers took his clothes and they divided them into four parts. Each one got a part. But he also had a tunic. And there's something special about that tunic. Because the Bible says that it was woven from top to bottom without any seams. And so those soldiers said, we're not going to rip this tunic. But what we will do is we'll cast lots to see who's going to get the tunic. It was probably Jesus' most prized Possession, his tunic. See, the Jews had a tradition where the mothers, if they had a son, would wove or weave a tunic or uh, uh, some type of tunic and would give to their sons before they would leave the home. So I'm sure it was something that Jesus prized. But it also fulfilled the scripture that they cast lots or his clothes. And now we're going to look at the three of the seven sayings from the cross as recorded in the book of John. In verse 26, when Jesus therefore saw his mother and a disciple whom he loved, standing by her, he said to his mother, Woman, behold your son. Talking about John. Then he said to his disciple, John, behold your mother. Even on the cross, after being crucified, Jesus was still concerned with his mother. You know what the first commandment with promise is? Honor your father and your mother. Jesus knew he had to take care of his mother. So he commits her care to John, and from that hour, the Bible says that that disciple took her to his home and took care of Jesus' mother. In verse 28, after this, Jesus, knowing that all things were now accomplished, all things were now accomplished, that the Scripture might be fulfilled, he said, I thirst. Folk, I believe he was praying right here that his throat was getting ready for a victory cry. I believe he was getting ready for a victory cry. Because then we read 
in, in verse 30, so when Jesus had received the sour wine and they gave him something to drink because he was thirsty, then Jesus made the most powerful statement ever been made. He said, it is finished. He said, let me see if I can pronounce this. Somebody might have to help me. It says, tetelestia. But in the Greek, it means paid in full. It means mission accomplished. Here's a good place to give praise to God right here. Mission accomplished, paid in full. It is finished. <laughs> About to be the Sabbath, they said that the, the Jews begin to say that they need to break the bones of Jesus and, and those prisoners on each side. John doesn't mention the prisoners. Because you know why? Jesus needs to be the center of it all. Jesus needs to be the center of it all. The soldiers came in to break their legs, and it says they broke the legs of, of both prisoners, one on one side, one on another. But when they came to Jesus, he was already dead. So they didn't break his legs. But that fulfilled the scripture. The last few verses, 38 through 42, this is Bible quiz stuff. Joseph of Arimathea and Nicodemus came. Joseph slipped into Pilate without the Jews knowing it and asked for the body of Jesus. Why? Because he was a secret disciple of Jesus. <laughs> a secret disciple of Jesus. But he goes in and asks for his body and Pilate grants him his wish so they take Jesus' body down, and the Bible says that they put him in a, in a tomb that Joseph had because it was close by, because it was about to be the Sabbath. Nicodemus brings myrrh and aloes, much more than what's normally done, and they cut strips of cloth, and they, they wrap Jesus in, in, in these strips of cloth and these aloes and, and the myrrh, somewhere around 100 pounds worth, which would have been quite a bit of money. <laughs> Put him in this tomb. There's no humor in this chapter. No humor at all. But Jesus gave his life for you and me. Jesus gave it all. See, the cross is the good news. The cross is the good news. The gospel is the good news that in the cross of Jesus, the penalty of our sin, come on, my sin and your sin, the penalty of our sin was on him. He took it for you and I. Oh, we've heard the song. While he was on the cross, I was on his mind. <laughs> While he was on the cross, Julio, you were on his mind. Linda and I came and visited you when your body was failing. <laughs> my flesh in that room thought, oh, my goodness. But my spirit said, God, give me the faith Felicia has to believe that God's going to raise him up. And we stood in Pastor Brian's yard one day with some of our grandkids at a swimming pool. And Julio was cutting the grass. He was on a lawnmower cutting the grass. And Linda called him and said, come over here. And he got off his lawnmower and he came over there and she looked at our grandkids and said, I just want y'all to see a miracle man. 
And Julio was stand, standing there. But can I tell you something? He's so humble. So humble for what God's done in his life. Jesus is a miracle man. If we'll fully trust Christ's accomplishment, Brent, you guys can come if you would. I'm getting ready to close. If we'll fully trust Christ's accomplishments, fully trust them. If we really believe that He's paid penalties, penalty. If we really believe that He went to that cross and He shed His blood for you and I. Then the Word says in 1 John 1, 9 that if we confess our sin, He's faithful and just to forgive us of our sin and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Folk, all you have to do is believe. Religious people have no king. Religious people have no king. Believers have a king. Jesus took on indignity and went to a cross for you and I. But it doesn't stop there. It doesn't stop at the cross. We're not finished with, with John. There's a couple more chapters. Folk, can I tell you, it was Friday. The cross seemed like it was all over with. But can I tell you something? Sunday was coming. Come on, Sunday was coming. Come on, Sunday was coming. Jesus is alive. We can celebrate the cross. It's not a fun chapter to preach because of all the hatred and the things that we see take place. Folk, it might as well be me saying, crucify Him. Crucify Him. But I'm like Pastor Brian. I remember... In a little Baptist church at 17 years old, when, when the Holy Spirit began to draw me to Him, and I said, I can't sit here any longer. And I went down front and I surrendered my life to Jesus. Does that mean life's been a bed of roses? Does that mean there hadn't been any mountains too high? <laughs> Does that mean there hadn't been things in front of me that I felt like would never move? Does that mean that there had, never has been times when I just had to wait and see what God was going to do? But He's still God. He's still God. And I'm not going back to Egypt. I'm not going back to Egypt. There's nothing to go back there for. I'm not going back to Lodabar. <laughs> There's a journey. And I'm going forward, George. Going forward, decisions have to be made every day. Today, you got to make a decision. You got to make a decision today. Pilate had to make a decision. You say, Well, that was all part of God's will. Yeah, Jesus going to a cross, dying for you and I was all a part of God's will. But we still have to make a decision. What do you do with a man that 
knows he's going to die on a cross. But yet he walks right into the very place. (laughs) What do you do with a man that hates religion but loves Christians, loves believers? He had to make that decision. You and I have to make a decision. I either choose to walk this journey of life with Him or walk this journey of life without Him. And can I tell you something? I don't want to walk without Him. I don't want to walk a day without Him. Bow your heads for just a moment. Father, I love and I thank You for You are our Lord, you're the King of kings and the Lord of lords. You're the Messiah. You're the Savior. <laughs> you're the Savior. That to someone that doesn't know you, you might be their next door Savior. We spoke this morning and we sing songs about doors opening to us. The greatest door we'll ever walk through is the door that you opened when you went to the cross, when you shed your atoning blood, your precious atoning blood for our sin. And when we step through that door, then we don't have to walk that journey alone anymore. You said you'd never leave us nor forsake us. If you're here today without Jesus, it's very simple. This is the gospel, and it's a free gift. It's a free gift that's given to you. Christ gave it to you. All you have to do is say, Jesus, come into my life. Forgive me of my sin. Forgive me of all the things that I've done wrong. I'm tired of walking alone. Come into my heart and wash me clean today. I thank you, Lord. I choose today to serve you. I choose to follow you the rest of my life. I choose to surrender my will to your will. I choose to acknowledge you so that you can direct my path. Thank you for loving me. Take away my heart of stone. And give me a heart of flesh today. And I give you praise in Jesus' name. Amen. 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 Come on, give him praise. Hallelujah. Stand to your feet with me if you would. I'm excited about the next two chapters. Pastor Brian finishes up this series. I'm excited because I already know what took place. I'm excited because I know who's going to win. We already sing about it this morning. We've already won the victory, folk. And if you accepted Jesus into your heart today, whether online or in this room, you're not the same person you were when you walk out of here today. It's just like the renovation of that bathroom over there. It won't all change in one moment. But can I tell you, He'll continue to 
restore and make things better than they were. Come on, give him praise again. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. I want to pray a blessing over you and Pastor Brenton will sing and if you want to go, that's fine. If you want to worship for a moment, continue to worship. If you give your heart to Jesus today and you, need, you want to talk to someone, one of our pastors, Pastor Josh, myself, Pastor Brent, Pastor Brad, we'll be glad to talk to you. I'll be down here. My wife will be down here. Well, she may not. She heads out to see them grandchildren, so them triplets. But we'll be glad to talk to you. I love you. Isn't God good? Lord, I pray a blessing over my brothers and sisters today. I thank you, Lord, that we are family. (laughs) We are family, Lord. One day we're going to unite in heaven because, Jesus, you've made us a promise that you're coming back for us. And, God, we're excited about that promise. So, Lord, our desire is to finish this race strong. So I pray for my brothers and sisters, God, that you'll give inner strength each day, Lord, as we make decisions that we will choose Christ that we will choose to follow Jesus and then one day spend eternity with Jesus. May your face shine upon them today, Lord. May your blessings chase them down this week, God. And we give you praise and thanks for it all. In the name of the strong Son of God, Jesus Christ our Lord. And everybody said amen. Thank you for listening to the Generations Church Podcast. We hope you enjoyed the message today and pray God's greatest blessings on you. For more information about Generations Church and its ministries, check out our webpage at gctlh.org or follow us on Facebook, Instagram, YouTube, and Twitter.